0: of light. Light gives you the ability to see where you're going and it allows you to overcome the darkness. Loving is a responsibility and by this people will know you're for real. They will know you're my authentic followers and not a fake Christian or plastic saint. This book is designed to entice you to not only receive Christ for yourself but offer Christ to others so that believing in Him, they might have life in His name. Amen. Good morning, family. Good morning. God is good. Amen. All the time. I wasn't even expecting that, but that is what we do. We say these things. That's awesome. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, I'm just going to say it again. Can we just give one more round of applause for those who got baptized? I just feel like... um, They'll share a little bit more next week of just kind of like what they're going through spiritually and like how it's been a blessing for them. But keep them in prayer. God is doing something big. And um, especially with the next generation, we see that. And if you ever feel like God is, God, where are you? God, are you done? Have you stopped working? I have news for you. He ain't stopped done. He ain't done yet. Amen? He ain't stopped done. He's not done yet. But amen. Man, God is so good. We're so excited. Easter last week was... um, I just wanted to bless those who got up and shared their testimonies last week, too, because something, amen. Um, if you were here last week, I just felt like the Lord say, we all got to testify. It's not just my job as the pastor. And some of you guys have just been through it, and you've seen resurrection life in ways that most of us can't even fathom. But the power of your testimony is so rich, and it just encourages our faith. So thank you guys again for all those who shared. But today's our last week of John. Everybody say, Boo. Today, we finish with John chapter 21, which is actually one of the most interesting, exciting passages, I think, in the entire book. But first, I have a question for you. I need your actual input. I need your depth of analysis. You guys are ready. I'm going to show you a picture of a tree that I seen at the beach yesterday, okay? And I sat there, and I looked at this tree, and I asked the philosophical question, which came first, the tree or the fence? And you might think that the answer is easy, but it's not easy, because you can do them both ways. You, the tree could have been there, and they could have built the fence around the tree, or the tree could have started to grow into the fence, and they cut a puka so that the tree could go through. Does that make sense? So, we don't know. I want to see a show of hands, because you guys are experts at trees and fences. Which of you guys say that the tree came first? Guaranteed the tree was there first. Right. Okay. So, you yes, or I'm, on, I'm on board with you. How many you guys say, no, the fence was definitely first? Anybody? Wow, okay. I, was, I considered it for a little while. But I actually agree with you, that I agree that the tree was probably there first, and what gave it away, because the fence was like brand new. <laughs> so if it was super old, I'd be like, bro, this, this, this fence might outlive this tree. But the, what I looked at this was the wild concept that when this tree was planted, did it have any idea in the smartest coconut in the bunch that it would actually become part of a fence one day? <laughs> What a dumb question. But think about it. Did this tree have, if it could think, could it actually conceptualize, hey, maybe one day I'll be a fence. (laughs) No, it's a tree. It's planted to give coconuts. Coconuts give life. And not just give life, but it brings, if you know anything about the history and, and culture of Polynesia, it is like the lifeblood. You can use every part of the coconut tree to do stuff. It has a ton of purpose. But this one was repurposed for offense. And it reminded me of something with this that's true about Jesus, is that sometimes his purpose is greater than ours. So you might have a good idea of what your purpose on earth is. You might have a great idea of what your passions, your strengths, your interests, and you might have a great, your Enneagram type, everything wrapped up in a bubble, and you're like, boom, this is who I am. But then the resurrection of Jesus happens, and everything kind of hoolies a little bit, because everything's up for grabs. And now, Instead of, the same way this tree, instead of just living out its own purpose, it's actually called into a purpose higher than its own. In other words, if you look at that picture again, if we can put it up, that fence was built around the tree, right? The tree already existed, and it built around the tree and gave the tree a new context. This is what Christ did when he brought the kingdom of heaven down to earth. He built an entire new spiritual reality that knew now fit in contextually So, you might think, my job is to make coconuts and then die one day. He's saying, No, I'm gonna make your life come to life with a purpose and a meaning and an impact that you couldn't even fathom when you were just a sapling. Amen? This is what, yeah, this is when pastors go to the beach. This is what (laughs) happens. But for real, this is, it was a great visual to me. Because your life has now been given a brand new start, brand new purpose because of what Christ has done. He has built an, an entire new reality all around, everything that's already been in your life. The question for most of us, though, is this question. What is his will? We don't just, he doesn't come into our life and just give us random purpose. We actually get conformed into his will and his purpose. So Jesus is the fence builder, and he says, now I need you as a tree to be a part of my fence, if that makes sense. He, we are conformed into his world, not the other way around. So when we have faith in Christ, we become people, citizens of heaven, the Bible says. Not anything else, but citizens of heaven. And so John, here's the major question in John chapter 21. When you read this, here's the question. The disciples are struggling. The resurrection just happened in chapter 20. Jesus just rose from the grave, and then they're like, what do we do with this? And you're going to see them act out the inability to understand what Christ just fully did. But Jesus, in his grace, is going to show up and show them something new. It's going to be awesome. You guys ready for the word? Amen. I love that. <laughs> the Bible so good. Jesus' visitation makes it so much clearer. So we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is a weird thing, and I highlight it for this quick reason. The Sea of Tiberias is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. For a Jewish person, you wouldn't call this the Sea of Tiberius because that's the name Rome gave it. But for some reason, John here calls the only time in the Bible they call the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias. Think about it this way. For many of us who grew up here, we know Lanikai is not Lanikai. It's Kaohau, right? For someone to kind of come into the picture, you know, for, let's say if someone Hawaiian who grew up, like the olds, who grew up in Kaohau, right, started calling it Lanikai, you're like, why would you call it Lanikai? You know it's not Lanikai, right? That might be news to some of you guys. Lanikai is not the real name. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> here's the idea is they're making a statement with this, the Sea of Tiberias, that they have already slipped back into the world of the mindset of the world. That the kingdom of God had kind of been sucked out of them for a second. They've lost touch with the reality, the new reality that Jesus brought, and now they're back living in Rome again. So now it's no longer Kaohau, now it's Lanikai again, right? But this is what they're saying, is now they came to the Sea of Tiberias. It's back to the Roman occupation of the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter, classic Simon Peter, says this, I'm going to go fish. (laughs) I'm going out to fish, he told them. He said, "Ah, all right, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught, everyone say it with me, nothing. Nada. They caught nothing that night. And there's a couple important details that we're going to find as we go. This is a direct illusion. You remember when Jesus first called the disciples, where where were they? They were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is now about to return to them where he first called them. They find themselves back into their old ways. Jesus just died on the cross. What do we do? I guess we go fish again. And so for many of us, this is what the post-Easter blues is like. Last week was unreal. God moved last week. This week, I guess I go back to normal. (laughs) I guess we go back to fishing, right? No, that's the good news. And Jesus is gonna sharpen our minds to not sink into the post-Easter blues. But this is what they did because they didn't know what to do with this message. What do I do with this idea that Jesus just rose from the dead? He had already appeared to them twice. They know he rose from the dead. But still, they're like, I guess we just go back to fishing. But Jesus meets them there. So they went out to catch the boat, and notice they fish at night. It's better to fish at night. If you go to Israel, most of the fishing happens on the Sea of Galilee at dusk or at night. But they caught nothing. And all my points are going to rhyme this morning. My inner Baptist is coming out. So if you're taking notes, here's the first encouragement, is that Jesus has more in store. Amen? Jesus has more in store. When you think fishing is all I got left, trust me, it's not. You haven't seen it all yet, (laughs) amen? And this is an encouragement that I've seen first and foremost in my life. That as soon as I think I've experienced all the Jesus that I possibly can, he somehow blows my mind again. He shows up in a way I've never seen him. I hear a testimony I've never heard. I've been blessed by the presence of his spirit in a way I've never felt before. This is real, and most of us have had these kinds of things in our life. But Jesus has more in store. And I want to say this. I don't have a slide, but I'm just going to read it. The entire book of John sits on this theme that Jesus came to make things new and replace old things, old thinking, old systems, old traditions, everything. In John chapter 1, he replaces the holy of holies when he says, I am the presence of God, not Jacob's pillow. In John chapter 2, he replaces the purification rites in the wedding in Cana. It's a messianic sign of the age to come. In John chapter 2, he also replaces the temple complex. He becomes the new temple. The temple itself is over. That era is over. John chapter 3, entry into God's family, brand new. You must be born again. He replaces how you enter God's family. John chapter 4, where do you worship? He says to the Samaritan woman, no matter you worship this mountain, that mountain, it's whenever we worship in spirit and in truth, you are now a worshiper of the Most High. He replaces where we worship, where we dwell and gather as believers. Um, John chapter 5, he replaces the Sabbath. John chapter 6, the Passover, the land, the manna. John chapter 7 and 8, he replaces the feast of tabernacles with living water. I'm the light of the world. I'm the living water. These are the things that Israel once was that he says, I am now. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. Israel's not the vine. I'm the vine. Jesus continually says, there is a new way coming. Amen. And here I want to um, show you this morning. If I can jump over here, I'm going to try to pull this big guy over. Ready. Still good, still good, We good. I've been trained. Sorry, I like everybody to see him. OK. So here's, um, here's how I taught. Amen, can we clap for the whiteboard really quick? Wow. That's why I don't cut my hair. I need to keep that Samson strength. Um, just kidding. But most of us think this is our life in some capacity. I'll move this a little bit. Most of us think that this is going to be our life, that we're born. I'm going to put it here. We're born. Hooray. Some point in our life we meet Christ, whether it's early in life or later in life. And then the journey that God has us on from there goes like this until, these are clouds, okay? (laughs) And this is an angel. That's heaven, okay? So until heaven comes, my life is about pursuing Jesus until I die, right? And I end up going to heaven. So there's a couple names for what happens when I go to heaven, what happens, what do we call this process of me growing up, and what actually happens right here at the cross? These are really important questions. Most of us grew up with something like this, and I'm going to try to Make a biblical case for a different way of thinking if you grew up like this. Most of us think this way, that on the cross, I was justified. Everyone say justified. I was justified at the cross. He paid the penalty for my sins and I've been set free. Amen. Hallelujah. And then this one, we say, I have been, I'm in the process of being sanctified, right? I am being made holy. I'm being made clean. On this way where one day I am going to be Glorified. Everyone say glory. glory, Glorified. 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 And I won't go into all this scripture, but I want to make two cases. It's number one, wouldn't this be an awesome life? Just more like Jesus, a little bit more every day. No bumps, no twists in the road, no stumbles, no relapses. That would be awesome. But this isn't life. <laughs> Amen? This isn't how life actually goes. And so we're, we're in this position now where... Life, if we're looking at it more realistically, goes up for a little bit and then there's valleys. And then bumpy roads ahead and then we kind of shoot up and we have these moments with God and at last and we plateau and things get boring and then we dip again. But then all one day, <laughs> we'll be with Christ again. Our life is something more like this. Amen? And so I want to I challenge this thinking and I want to tell you that three things that are true about us because of what Christ did when he died and resurrected... Number one, yes, you were justified, but you are actually sanctified here. This is what that means. When Christ died for your sins, he rose again. He said, you have now been cleansed of all iniquities. Amen? I don't have to get more pure as I grow in my life in Christ because I've been made pure at the cross. Amen? And here's what that means. If you're like, well, But Pastor Mark, I still sin. Here's what that means. Because you've been sanctified, the power of sin and death and darkness that lived in you upon confession of faith to Jesus, that death has been, or the the power of death has been pulled out, Jesus has conquered that, and he now no longer looks at you as if you were a sinner. The Bible's really clear on this. You are no longer a sinner in his eyes. So as as, as far as he's concerned, he has the keys to death and to Hades. So you have been cleansed in his name. So now our life is not about trying to be more pure. And here's the problem. When I spend my life trying to be more pure, it's about my behavior. And I try and I try and I try and I, I just fail. I was talking to one brother one time who was, who was sober. And I said, hey, how long have you been sober? And he's like, oh, I was sober for 20, uh, 25 years, but it would have been 40. But after 15 years, I relapsed. And I drank a bunch. And in his mind, his sanctification was going up as the more he didn't drink. As soon as he had one drink, he dipped back in at the start from scratch again. That's not the way of Christ. I asked him this question. I said, So that night you relapsed? Did alcoholism become your slave master again? It's like, no. Was it your slave master before? Yeah. So you still you're still set free? Yeah. Amen. Amen. This is what it's all about. So this process of sanctification was fully satisfied on the cross. The evidence of this is that the Holy Spirit lives in you, Christian. If you have the living Spirit of God living in you, guess what? Your body is a temple, which means the Holy of Holies has been totally cleaned so that God himself can reside there. Amen? We don't miss this. Your job growing into the faith is not to try to be a better person, is not to try to be more holy, Holiness will happen. It'll be a fruit of following Jesus. But what you're going to notice is something's going to happen, no matter hell or high water, valley or peak. I would contend that a better word for what we're doing in this Christian life is actually pursuing revelation. Meaning, Jesus is going to show himself up here, show himself here show himself here. And when Jesus shows himself in every instance of our life, we grow in the confidence of our faith that he's a good shepherd. And even when I mess up, I have the resurrection power to step back onto the righteous path. Amen? That's what we're pursuing. So when we say we pursue Jesus, we're not saying we're trying to be better people. We're trying to say, I want to see him. I want to be with him. I want him to show himself to me. And that's going to Grow me in maturity, Paul says. That there's all kind of verses that I can throw at you later <laughs> if you're interested. But this is what's really important. And then glorification is a good word, but really what this is is Jesus when He brought the kingdom down. He says this is really what we're pu- pushing towards. That day comes when Christ returns. It's actually an actualization. The person you were meant to be will be fully actualized when Christ returns, or when you go home to meet Him. So the question then is. Do I have to wait here for this to happen? No, you don't have to wait till death. The disciples found themselves right after the resurrected tomb waiting for something to happen. Lord, when will I be glorified? Are you coming back soon? They had no idea there was an entire life that Jesus had purposed them to walk in that was greater than merely waiting for heaven to show up. He says, I've been down steward heaven. That's the invitation, steward heaven. So I hope that makes sense, but I want to just tell you that if your life, you have been pursuing sanctification, the problem is likely (laughs) you've been doing it out of a sense of religion, like I'm supposed to be a good person, or a sense of like, you know, we come into church, we put on a good face, and I got to make sure that I'm a pastor. I do this all the time. Hey, Pastor Mark, right? Like I have to. I have to put on like a sanctified, I'm purified face. But guess what? I get valleys too. I get dips too. I need Jesus the same way we all do. That's why James says there is no partiality in the church because every single person, whether you're rich or poor, a Jew, a Gentile, a woman, a man, slave or free, we all have equal need of Jesus. We all need equal revelation of him no matter what our life looks like. Amen? So this is what Jesus is showing up to his disciples for, to show him You guys are in the post-Easter blues, but I'm going to bring you up and cast a higher vision for your life. This is beautiful. So, here's the problem. (laughs) There's, There's competing voices in your life. I don't know if you've had this. I feel this all the time. That the government says something, the culture says something, and Jesus' words oftentimes find themselves in contrast to the surroundings that I find myself in. To put it back into my really bad analogy... The fence is telling me, Jesus is telling me, Mark, be one fence. And I'm like, no, but culture's telling me i got to produce more coconuts. It's like, no, I'm calling you to be a fence. No, 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 but I get more leaves to bear. And he's like, no, 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 i got a new purpose for you. So we have to drown out the things that we thought we knew and allow the resurrection spirit of Jesus to teach us something new, to show us a new way. And so here's a quick list. Here's the voice of the government. I don't know, for all intents and purposes of this, the government's job is basically tell you how low you can live before you go to jail, (laughs) right? This is basically live at this level, at least, be a basic, decent citizen. I don't care how great you do or how poor you do. Just don't break the rules, right? That's kind of why the government exists. We have to keep some kind of order. Here's the boundaries for order. And uh, we kind of care. We want people to do well, Galeno-ish, but we basically just don't want people to go to jail. We don't want you to be a bad citizen and harm other people and do all these kind of things. So the government, live as high or low as you want, but as long as you don't break the law, you're fine, right? That's as as far as we care. The world of the the culture's world, right? Especially right now, we live in Western culture overrun by materialism, consumerism, individualism, stuff that has little glimpses of goodness in them but also can be idols. says this, that live as high as you can and do whatever it takes to get there. The world is going to tell you that the more that you have business success, Um, the more that you do well and get good grades in school, that these are the things that matter most. That the opportunities that you get in life to succeed and do better for yourself, good job. You've you've had a great life. And I can tell you time and time again, I've met with people who have killed it on every corporate ladder possible and still feel empty inside. Because that's not where life comes from. The last one, Jesus. Live a life. He says, I came to give life to the fullest. And how do you get that life? Access to that life? By love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving God first. Self-sacrifice. Put others before you. And this is countercultural. This looks like foolishness to the world. When think about when Jesus died on the cross, how many people mocked Jesus? That guy thought he was a king? Everything for us as believers is mockable. <laughs> Amen. Everything for us looks like foolish to the world, but we trust that Jesus in Christ, this is where life comes from. It's in the resurrection power to love others before myself, to lay my life down so others might live. It's a powerful, powerful invitation. So where, who, where, who's setting the bar here? Are we following the world's bar, which is basically you know the government saying, just live down here, don't break the law. The world is saying, live up here, But they're setting a false bar. As soon as you pull yourself up on the bar, the bar is going to fall because it's hollow and it's empty. Or do we follow Jesus' bar where he says, no, actually, I'm going to give you life eternal. I'm going to give you life in the fullest abundant capacity you could imagine. I'm going to set it up here. Jesus is not worried about you just merely breaking rules. He's anxious to see you follow the path of life that he laid out for you through the empty tomb. This is what he's waiting for. This is what he's hoping for. A new hope. This is where our name comes from, new hope. <laughs> amen? I was thinking about this this morning. We, we kind of go over, like, we, we had the name for 15 years, but sometimes we forget. This is actually what we offer. This is what we're living. There's actually a hope here. Amen? And it's an anchor to our souls. So John 21, we're going to keep going. It goes to this, John 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood in shoring. So early in the morning, mean they fished at night, they came back. They're paddling in. It's late. They caught nothing. Jesus was on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw it on the other side of the boat, and you're going to find some. They're like, what? We just spent all night fishing, caught nothing. You're coming close to shore. The fish are out there. Throws their net on the other side of the boat. And it says this, excuse me, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Wow. There is a miracle, miraculous power available to us when we reside in Christ and the Spirit of God lives within us. I'm going to say it this way. Expect miracles if you're following Jesus with your whole heart. Amen? Expect them. And this is what's... I, the reaction is crazy, but we'll get there. But I love this because it says, <laughs> they were unable to even haul the net in. Right? probably skinny those guys, Jewish boys. But they should have been able to haul in a net of fish. It was that big that they could, three grown men could not haul in a boatload of fish. And it says the large number, it was loaded. So if you're taking notes too, here's the second encouragement. Number one, there's more in store. Number two, your old ceiling is your new floor. I told you they're going to rhyme. Your old ceiling is your new floor. They went back To be in the boat and to fish as they thought was normal. But Jesus shows up in the boat or on shore while they're in the boat and redefines what they're doing. And what's crazy to me is Jesus, if you remember, he says, Leave your net behind. I'm gonna make you what? Fishers of men. It's not about the fish anymore, it's about catching people. And so what he's doing here is he's giving them a glimpse of a new purpose. Your net being full isn't just to say, I'm going to feed you well. He's saying, don't you realize, as he said in John chapter 4, the fields are ripe for harvest. It's time to catch some people. This is what he's telling them. Guys, the time has come. I called you. He said on, to this to Peter, on you, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on you. And the church's mission is to help Jesus be workers of the, of the harvest. Meaning there are people out there who don't know who he is. And he's like, I need you to go and tell them. And he says this, but he says this, that the fields are ripe for harvest. There's a hunger. People will receive it. And when you come and you bring people to Jesus, it's going to matter. And it's going to happen. So your old ceiling is the new floor that the resurrection teaches us that our greatest moments are still just beginnings. Isn't that awesome? I hear this in business and stuff all the time. That whenever you disciple someone, whenever you mentor somebody, you want them to do so well that the highest peak that you reach becomes the beginning for the next generation. Amen? This is our hope in the church as well. That whatever the Lord is moving through the church, we're actually launching the next generation of leaders to do even greater things in his name than we accomplished. This is the heart of when we went through transition just last year too. Pastor Rick shared that with me too. He says, there is a time where I realize that my, my ceiling isn't getting any higher, but what I can do is I can launch Pastor Mark and say, use my ceiling and start a new floor. Amen? The kingdom of God is being built, ceilings and floors at a time, generation after generation. And the disciples here are being called to be a participant in that. Amen? So this is what is happening. I love this quote, Thomas Merton, who's a great author, thinker, pastor, just beautiful heart. He says this, by reading the scriptures... I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed around me and with me. The sky seems to be a pure, cooler blue. <laughs> the trees, a deeper green. The whole world is charged with the glory of God, and I feel fire and music under my feet. Hallelujah. This is a renewed perspective. When I actually start looking, not like the disciples, where they're looking through the lens of, let's go back to the Lake of Tiberias and just go back to our old fishing. This heart is what Jesus is trying to bring. Don't you realize how much bluer the sky is, how much greener the leaves are, how much fire is under your feet? So Christians, wake up. This is time to be alive in your faith, that there's more in you. Greater is he in you than greater is in the world. Amen? That there is something in you that God is going to use to bring others towards himself, and your life will find meaning and purpose as well as the reassurance That the food that Jesus eats, people coming to him, walking into eternal life, you will be satisfied with that same food. Amen? That that will be enough. And that I have Jesus as my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's the goal, to be in a place of contentment with our Savior, to do his will so that he might live through us. Beautiful. What a beautiful vision. So it keeps going on to say this, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter... It is the Lord. They didn't know who he was. This guy from the shore who told us to throw the nets over the other side. We did them anyway. Like, Holy smokes, that's the Lord. Again, didn't say that's Jesus. They said, that's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken it off and jumped into the water. This is an allusion to when Peter was hesitant to walk out on the water the first time. Jesus said, come and walk on water with me. And he fumbled and he fell in. This time, no hesitation. When he threw that garment back on himself, it was like he was throwing hope right back over himself. Hope is back. Jesus is here, throwing it in. I'm going in the water. I'm not even thinking. He jumped right into the water. It goes on to this. Jesus said to them, Bring some fish that you have just caught. (laughs) So, you know, all those fish. So, Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. Important detail. Large fish. What does that mean? It means it's a good crop. This is an allusion to what is to come when you follow the will of God. You are going to bear good fruit. You will catch large fish is what it's alluding to. You're not going to catch anybody go fishing. You know the frustration. You catch, I mean, depends where you go. Sometimes you catch sharks. You got to try to unhook those things and not get bit, right? Sometimes you catch just little manini fish and it's just a waste or you can use them for bait fish. But actually trying to find when good, fat, solid, you know, Papio or ulua or whatever you're fishing for can take time. Every single fish in the boat was large and plentiful. They didn't get all scrap fish inside, right? They didn't get the bottom feeders mixed in. This was a good crop. This is the promise of blessing when you follow Jesus. Your life is going to bear good fruit, meaning that people around you are going to see that. Oh, bro, I get fat fish, <laughs> right? That's what you guys want to see. What I'm saying you get a good harvest and people will see it and you're gonna share it with people. The whole point of having this many fish isn't for you to hoard, it's for you to share. And when you share good fish, people wanna know where did your fish come from, amen? This is the goal. I wanna share my fat fish so big, so much, that people wanna know, where, Mark, where'd you get your fish? Where's your fishing spot? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I like tell people. I like show you where my fish comes from. So Jesus is calling them to a higher purpose. The first purpose he told them when he first called them, throw down your nets, you're going to become fishers of men. And he's showing them that with fish. So he says this, and then the next, right, it was full of large fish, 153 to be exact. I'm going to give you the quick thing. If you're wondering why 153, there's different theories. Some people have said there were exactly 153 people groups in the Roman Empire. It's just a theory. I don't know if there's proof to back that up. So then they said this would be an allusion to him saying all the 153 fish in the net represent all the nations that the gospel is going to go to, right? That would be awesome if it's true. We don't know if it's true. Another person said, this is, there's still a lot of theories, but probably the prominent ones are that in Jewish language, 100 is completion, 50 is the year of Jubilee, which is complete freedom, and the 3 is the number of revelation. So you are getting full revelation that you have been completely set free and all things have been brought into completion. Could be that too. But probably the simplest and most popular opinion, why was there exactly 153 fish in the net, was simply this. That John, when he was writing this, wanted to let you know, I'm not going to use exaggerated language, I want to tell you just exactly how good God was. Simple. I just want to use specifics to tell you how specifically good God was. Amen? So here's the next one. Again, there's more. There's, God has more in store, right? And point number two was, they all rhyme, your old ceiling is your new floor. And then the third one is this. We have 130, 153 more reasons to adore and bring fish to shore. Amen? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I was paying attention in English class. Come on. But this is, what we're, this is the exciting part. Because of this scripture, now you have 153 more reasons to adore the Lord. Because he blessed, this is a motion of blessing, an act of blessing to the disciples. It's reasons to give him every blessing you have in your life is actually an opportunity to turn it back into praise to the Lord. Have you recognized that? That God is like, hey, what do you have? Oh, I get plenty. Lord, thank you for all I do have. It's easy to stay in the negative and complain about all I don't have, all that has happened to me, right? It's easy to stay here. But what God does is in grace, because life happens, and it's hard, and we sit in valleys, and that's okay. The point of valleys is not to jump out of them, but it's to walk through them. But what Jesus says is, when you walk through them, trust that I'm going to be there with you. And when I walk there with you, I'm going to lead you to a new hope. I'm going to lead you to a new life. But listen to my voice. The sheep listen to a shepherd. Follow me, and I'll show you what life actually looks like. And then I love this, this part, bringing fish to shore. Paul, or sorry, Peter jumps out of the boat goes and hugs Jesus, but then he's like, oh, bring some of the fish back. So he's like, okay, turns around, runs back to the boat to help bring the fish in and haul them in. Sometimes we forget that in our adoration of Jesus, there's still a mission. There's still a calling. That God wants to just be with us where we're at, and that's awesome. And we spend time in our prayer room, and we spend time in our prayer closets, and we just spend time with Jesus, and that's beautiful. We have to do that. But sometimes Jesus is like, okay, go get the fish. (laughs) Yeah? Sometimes he's like that. He's like, hey, I, I didn't just repurpose your life just so you could look like a pretty fence, right? I repurposed your life so that you could actually do something to make this world a greater place, bear a light in the darkness that the world needs to see. So he's asking us, will you go? Go grab the fish. Bring those fish to shore. Oswald Chambers says it this way. All of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. The most extraordinary thing about you is in your faith in Christ that he has given you a new purpose. If you're on coconut tree and you're looking at the other coconut trees, oh, we all look the same. Oh bug, that guy's a fence. Right? That guy's different. What makes that coconut tree extraordinary is that no other coconut trees around him are fences, right? I like that this 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 picture keeps coming back to play. But does that make sense? That this higher calling, this higher purpose is actually what makes you extraordinary. That Paul says it this way. I've been, my old self, my normal self, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's he who lives in me. And because of the sacrifice that he gave himself up for me. What a blessing. That's extraordinary. That is absolutely extraordinary. That your life is finding a purpose. I'll put her on the spot, but I think a couple weeks ago, we just kind of open mic and just see what the Lord is saying, and Trish came up, and she's like, I feel like I just finally found my purpose, yeah? And she's, you know, in, a, in the <laughs> latter seasons of her life, but she's like, I just figured it out, that God wants to use me to help other people find love and find him, right? Use my life to help people get to him. It's like, amen. There is no greater revelation than the higher purpose of direction in your life. That's it. So, oh, I'll, I'll hold on. Okay, so this is a life-changing revelation. So John chapter 21 finishes this way. Last verse, he says this. The third time, oh, sorry. It goes, uh, verse 15. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, hey, so what? Son of John, Simon, son of John, you still love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, oh, okay. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Take care of my sheep. Okay, I get him. You said that already. Jesus says it one more time, verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked for the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He could have also said, catch more fish. Same idea. Feed my sheep. He is building his church upon the guy who denied Jesus three times. He is saying in three questions, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven. You still love me? Still love me? Still love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then here's the evidence of your love for me. Go and feed my sheep. Peter is the building block of this thing we call the church. Many of us have grown up in church. We've come to church services. When we hear the word church, it kind of evokes different reactions in different people. But this is the heart of what it means to be the church. It's a people who feed the sheep. We take care of people. Yeah? We take care of those around us, the orphans, the poor, the widows. We seek justice and we love mercy. We walk humbly. We love God, we love others, we make disciples of the nations, we send them into their God-given purpose so that they might have life in Jesus' name too. So this is what Haumana series is going to be about in the next few weeks. This is the invitation for each one of us, not just Peter, for all of us. Yeah? Feed my sheep. What would that look like for you to feed Jesus' sheep? And I'll give you a couple of thoughts. For some of us, it's in the church. We serve and we serve the, the, the sheep in the church. That's awesome. For some of you, you might be called to actually serve better outside of the church. That God has given you a heart for someone or someone's out there. And you're like, bro, I just want to love on them really, really well. I had a high schooler in our youth group text me this last week. He's like, Pastor Mark, I need to meet, can I have a friend at school and he's going through a hard time and he, this high schooler is just texting me. He's like, it's just weary on my soul because he's going through such a hard time and I don't know how to love him, was basically what he was saying. And so I got to help him like bro, your heart is already there. Thank you for loving God's sheep, right? But it's so easy to get caught up in the world, to get caught up in the things, turn on the news, and get caught up in things so out there that we forget about the people right in front of us. It's all about people. It's all about relationships. And so if this is your, if you're thinking, what's the answer to this question? Jesus rose from the grave. What do we do with this? Here's the answer. Feed people hope. Amen. Hope now lives inside of you. Feed them hope. Take a spoon. Take one of those rubber baby spoons if you need to, right? Take one, I don't know how else you feed people. Give people a fork and a plate themselves. Say, eat this. It's hope. (laughs) But whoever God has put in your life is someone that God is saying, share hope with. And this is something, as we walk into maturity, we're going to notice that the revelation of Christ that we see in our life, I want to see God show up in this way. I want to just show up in my marriage I want them to show up in my kid's life. I want him to show up in my workplace. It's going to happen when we participate in the resurrection by walking in godly purpose. I've noticed this for myself. The more I teach, the more I learn. The more that I serve other people, the more that I actually receive the love of Christ myself. It's a weird thing. But it's not this transactional, Jesus gave me, so I give him. It's actually cyclical. The Lord actually fills your soul when you're walking into your God-given purpose. Yeah? He fills your soul. As you love others, you find yourself charged with love. And it's a beautiful thing. So we have to start the circle. And Jesus says this, start the cycle this way. Feed my sheep. Love people well. Love your neighbor as yourself, as an overflow of how we love God. So many groups are starting next week, and there will be more details to come. But I want to just really encourage every single person in our church to ask this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus my whole life? To give him everything. Because last week, what we celebrated, it was it's worth everything. To see the life that he's bringing in his church, the way that his resurrection power is manifesting here and all over the world, is enough for me to say, Jesus, I'm in. How can I feed your sheep? How can I be a part of this? This is the greatest movement of all time, this thing we call the church. Amen? And I also want you to do this really quick. And we're going to pray. And um, if you have your phones, can you take out your phone with me really quick? There's one really cool thing that I kind of want to quickly announce before we pray over those things together. And that's on June 4th. I want you to go to your calendar on your phone. Because <laughs> if we announce this, I know nobody's going to do it. So I have to kind of like, you, 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 get your phones out. June 4th. We're going to have a day as a church. It's a Sunday. We're going to make that day dedicated to loving Kailua really well. Because that's our, that's our kuli'ana To love Kailua well on in Kailua as it is in heaven. To love sheep here in our community. There's more details to come, but that Sunday is going to be a really special Sunday where instead of coming to receive, as we usually do on a Sunday, we're actually just coming to give. And it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be awesome. And the Lord's opening crazy doors already, and so we have a lot to share about that. But I just want to encourage you, put on June 4th, do not miss church this day. (laughs) Amen? You can miss church other days. Don't miss this one. Don't conveniently be absent the day that we're gonna go and serve our community really well. And if you wanna see Jesus show up in really crazy ways, it happens because we've loved people the way he's first loved us. Let's go do that, amen? So let's pray. Would you stand with me? And we're gonna close in prayer. And let's, um, let's pray with our arms wide open. This movement we call the church started with 12 faithful ones, and it grew to be millions, amen? I genuinely wonder in my heart, What faithful church like ours, about the size of our church, Noab Kailua, what a faithful church like this could do if we all decided to gear in and focus on the kingdom of heaven and be like, yo, Lord, what do you want to do? We're in, whatever you have, Holy Spirit. So would you bow with me and just open your arms? And I want you to ask this to the Lord in your own prayer language. Lord, what does it look like for me to feed sheep? And just ask him for clarity on that. Some of you might already know, but some of you might be like the disciples. Like, what do I do with this resurrection news? Do I just go back fishing, or is there something greater? Jesus, we just ask you to speak this morning. We know that you're a living and active God. What would you have of us, Lord? Lord, I just feel led to just pray for the broken in our city. Lord, those with big giant houses on the beach and those stuffed into small apartments trying to make ends meet and everybody in between. We thank you for Kailua. We thank you for what you're doing here in this town. We thank you for the people that you're bringing to this town from all over the world. We thank you for the church that is being built up with diversity and love and, and unity, Lord. Lord, We pray, Jesus, for a, uh, expectantly, Lord, for a miraculous working of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, give us a glimpse where the fish are big, where we can start fishing. Give us a glimpse where the harvest is ripe and ready. Jesus, give us the courage in our hearts to not shy away from conversations that you might be speaking through. Lord, help us to not be too prideful to bend down and wash feet of people we think we're above. Lord, humble our hearts, but give us courage and strength through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that in our weakness you are made strong. So we want to see your strength, Lord. We pray, God, for just a d- deeper, richer sense of community to be built after this resurrection news, Lord, that there would just be a movement to bring us together, kako, as one ohana, just in full oneness, Lord, in one accord, as the Bible says, that our minds, our visions, our hearts for the people around us would just be so in agreement that your spirit would have no other option but to move in a powerful way. We pray for that kind of unity, Lord. And so, God, we just thank you for every person here. We thank you for their gifts, their talents, for this beautiful image of the of Christ that each one plays their role to do something amazing and spectacular and extraordinary as we step into a purpose that's higher than our own Jesus thank you for pulling us out of darkness and into marvelous light we're excited of what you're going to do we say keep going Lord don't let us slow you down but rather help us to see your pace and to walk step in step with your spirit as it moves Jesus we love you we praise you this morning. We thank you for all the good things, all the blessings we have. And Jesus, we're ready for more. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give God some love. Before you're dismissed, we have guests of honor in my book. For many of you guys, we have been praying for Papa Donnie for um, months. And I just want to announce he's here. <laughs> Him and Auntie Jana, if you didn't know, he had extreme battle with cancer on the mainland, had to do all sorts of procedures and surgeries. We were praying and praying and praying. And can we just celebrate with a big cheer that he is home and he is with us? Amen. Thank you, guys. (laughs) And we pray a new life over you, a new season over you, Don. So we love you guys. There is snacks, there is food, there is lunch. Go and eat and meet someone new. We love you. Be blessed.